books on books on the brain <laughs> oh my god hey it's me danielle from the future just popping on here super quick to say hey how are you good so glad if you're not good that's okay you will be by the end of this podcast i guarantee it do you know those um those author notes on AO3 where people will be like, hey, sorry I haven't updated in 15 years. I, I had a family and uh, now I'm back. <laughs> that's that's what this is. Um, Deirdre and I, me obviously on behalf of Deirdre, just wanted to pop on here really quick and say, hey, we know this episode <laughs> was recorded like a month ago. Um, we talk about season two of Bridgerton just coming out. And we know that it has been out for a while. And Deirdre talks about going to Los Angeles, but Deirdre just went to, to Los Angeles. So we just wanted to say, hey, yes, we know this is an old episode, but um, it's been in our back pockets for a little bit because we had a lot of things to finalize behind the scenes that y'all aren't aware of. Also, because of what happened with my semester at university, both Deirdre and I's final season... Uh, happened at the same time, um, which means it is difficult to set aside hours to edit an episode a week to uh, have a consistent upload. But fear not, I am finished for the semester. Go me. Um, so we will be having more up- more consistent updates moving forward for the next few months, which is very, very exciting. We've got some really, really fun episodes planned. We've got some really amazing author guests planned, but... You already knew. You already knew we had some tricks up our sleeves. Um, but here's here's a current, what is today, May 9th update on Deirdre and I. Deirdre just got back from Los Angeles for Y'all Fest. She also went, I don't know why I'm talking in this accent. I think it's Y'all Fest, you know? Y'all Fest, I feel like it leans into my Albertan. <laughs> Any of my fellow Albertans, shout out. You know you know the feeling. Um, Deirdre just got back from Yalefest and also Disneyland, which I'm not at all jelly about. Um, but if you haven't already, go check out all of the videos and posts she did on her socials about that weekend. It looked like so much fun, and I am so glad she got to meet so many amazing authors and bookish friends. Yay, 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 yay. Um... I finished school for the semester, so I'm done my third year of university. Holy smokes. Uh, I gave myself bangs again, and then, like, two days later, I had to recut the bangs. I didn't do a particularly good job the first time, uh, but the bangs are pretty cute. I have photos on my Instagram, so if you want to go check them out and tell me that you think the bangs are cute because I'm still a little insecure on them, I would appreciate that. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, well, like, a little bit. Um, Deirdre is currently reading, current read section, because our current reads in this are ancient. Um, Deirdre and I both just finished Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Cannot recommend enough. Go check. I mean, you already knew. If you've listened to any episode of our podcast, we love Emily Henry. We freaking love her. Uh, Book Lovers hurts so good. I think Deirdre and I both landed on it being um, to our both of our favorite so far of Emily's books, which is so exciting and fun. Um, Deirdre just finished the audiobook of The Bone Shard Daughter by 
Andrea Stewart. She says, and I quote, so many plot twists, so fun. So I'm sure we'll be hearing more from her about that. Uh, I just finished Book of Night by Holly Black. I got an, an arc from Rinko's Books and Tor, and it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, it, I have so many thoughts and feelings about it, but I'm going to save it for next episode, but know that I am reading that. <laughs> that is something that I am reading. Uh, I have currently read, actually. Um, yeah, other than that, let's get into the episode. A fun little episode ahead for you, so thank you, thank you, and enjoy. Welcome back to Books on the Brain, a podcast of books and nonsense. I'm Deirdre. And I'm Danielle. And we're back! We are back, back, back again. And we are both very excited for today's episode. This has been a long time coming. It's our first book report of the year! And that's very exciting. I'm excited. (laughs) We just spent five minutes before this episode talking about how excited we were to (laughs) record it. Yeah, I'm I'm living my full life. These are my favorite episodes to record. Um, how are you? How's life been for you, Deirdre? Life is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like I weirdly this semester started to figure out the balance of like school and living life. I I okay. don't think I don't think you can really achieve that balance in grad school, unfortunately, unless you're part-time. Um, yeah, but I really have been trying to give myself like a day to myself and, um, I booked a trip for a weekend (gasps) during the semester, which like, I'm not that type of person usually, but I am going to LA for the first time in my life for a couple days. Whoa. I've never been. I've been. (laughs) (laughs) Me, my little Canadian bus been to, well, no, I've been to... Disneyland. Mm. That's in California, right? Correct. Yeah, I've been there. Nice. I've been to... Are you going to go to Disneyland? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think so. I'm so excited! That is so exciting. Um, I don't know when this episode is coming out, (laughs) but if it comes out before uh, April 30th, I'm going to be at Mm. Y'all West, um, (gasps) the YA book convention. Um... Is it a convention? I don't know. It's a fair. Congregation. Yeah. Meeting place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something something so, like that. I'm really excited um, to be going to a book event out of state. I haven't left the New York, New Jersey area in two years. Um, yep. And I am itching to get out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's exciting. You're going to meet some bookish friends, meet some authors. I'm excited. So that has been at the forefront of every day. I'm just thinking through my packing list. Heck yeah. Constantly. I realize that I'm probably going to get books while I'm there. So I have to actually actively underpack my carry-on. Like I I told myself I'm going to download audiobooks and I'm going to download ebooks to my phone and my iPad for the plane so that I don't bring any physical books with me. And then, um, like, actively try to organize my carry-on well enough that I have the ability to buy books. Yeah, while I'm you're there gonna and bring, bring them a back. 
little backpack boy so you can carry around your books at the convention so your little yeah. arms don't get tired. Because I see people at those book conventions with little tote bags. I'm like, your arm is falling off my by shoulder. The end of the day. Couldn't do it. Could no. not do it. Not me. So, uh, yeah, that's basically all that's been going on with me. School and trying to figure out how to live life. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yes. Oh my god. I love when they make those little chirping sounds. <laughs> He's just chatting. He's talking about how his life. He's like, I've been sitting and looking out the window. <laughs> Loving his best life. What about you? Um, well, the strike at my university finally ended. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Millennia later. Um... <laughs> And you might think, oh, is it just, like, has it just been that much time that we've not posted? And they're like, no, the strike was six weeks. <laughs> it was a month and a half. Yeah. Um, so I'm back in school. They've extended my semester. So I have some mixed feelings about it. But at least, um, at least I'll be able to continue on. And I haven't lost a semester. So I'm happy about that. Um, other than that, it's just been just been heavy school heavy Mm -hmm. school business um but you know what we're making do we are making do yeah we are i've got um i teach musical theater class in my city and our final performances is next week Mm -hmm. that's i don't know when this comes out uh so it probably (laughs) already happened um but my little class of six to eight-year-olds, they're doing a little medley of Annie songs. Aww. And we worked on a little script for them to say when they walk out. And some of the stuff they say makes me want to cry a little bit because it's very, very sweet. Aww. One of the little girls was like, why can't I just have a family with a mommy and daddy? And why can't we all live together in a big house? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you guys are really good actors. <laughs> like sitting like sobbing, trying to do the choreography for Hard Knock Life. Um, it's very sweet. It's kids in musical theater, man. Sometimes you forget. Sometimes I forget, not you. Sometimes I forget uh, my love for musical theater. I do too. Uh, but I love it so much. It's my um, it's my favorite thing to do, and also reading is my favorite thing to do. So it's nice <laughs> to be able to do that with. Little guys, they're pretty darn cute. Aww. Even even if uh, they don't know how to wear a mask properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Let me tell you. Um, something big happened while we oh. were. Bridgerton Season 2 came out. It did. It did. And it's been met with some, like, very varied reactions, which I am, like, a little bit peeved about, TBH. Mm-hmm. I am, like... People who, like, because I get it. I get people who are, like, the camp of people who are, like, I want this to be a faithful adaptation of the book. Totally get. Yep. And then the camp of people who are, like, I love that they changed it because I think the changes were for the better. Right. Right? Like, from my understanding, and I have not read The Viscount Who Loved Me, Loved Me, Loves Me, I don't know. No, I do. I haven't read it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I also haven't read it. Um, But making... Uh, the protagonist not white, mm-hmm. I think was like, I assume from my descriptions of the book that I've seen, uh, the two, Edwina and Kate, were both white Correct. or white presenting. They were the, um, the, the Sheffields, I believe. Oh no. <laughs> that is much different. Um, but I think that's 
great. I think it made the show better in every way possible, but also took nothing away from it. Yes, I agree. By changing the um, ethnicity and race of those characters. But people are getting up in arms, and I'm like, this is not the hill you die on. Because this no. is... That's uh, racism. That's <laughs> racism. Is, yeah. You know, and, racism a little bit. And I've really appreciated the discourse of people who are like, I get what Shondaland is trying to do of creating yeah. this like fantasy utopia where racism doesn't really exist or according to season one, like racism is now gone. But <laughs> at the yeah. same time, they're really not talking about the fact that like England is a very colonialist nation who colonized yeah. India and like many, many, many other places around the world. So it's like, it's really fun to like live in this fantasy world, but at the same time, it is a fantasy world based in a reality. Um, and so I've really enjoyed those conversations that people are having of like, how, like just sort of like posing the question, how do we feel about this? Like, Mm-hmm. Do, is it okay that they're not addressing that? Like, they left that wide open in season one and then just didn't address it in season two. It's it's so tough because, like, yes, it's based in a historical time, but it's not historical fiction. No. So, for me, like, if it was historical fiction, I'd be like, okay, I get that argument a little bit more. This is my personal opinion. This is just y'all's opinion, and that is it. Uh, this does not reflect the views of this podcast. It is my opinion only. Um... But I think because it is not historical fiction, I am okay with um, them keeping things a little bit more vague. It does, uh, that is an interesting point uh, about that. But I think, like, the joy that I've seen people get from seeing people, like, seeing darker-skinned South Asian actresses uh, and characters represented in this way has been so big for so many people that I'm like, like, I would never trade that for anything in the world. And also the aspects of, like, ceremonies, like the pre-wedding ceremony being added in and the music and the little nods through their costuming. Like, I think it was very intentional the way they decided to create these characters. It it genuinely, to me, doesn't seem like they just, like, shoved these characters in like they very like intensely thought about how they were going to incorporate these characters into this season i agree and i think like for me where i think the tv series could have made a stronger choice is if they had unpacked more of that in the first season or just been like this is fiction like not yeah tried to like (laughs) we decreed that racism is gone because we're like okay well obviously we know that that's not true and potentially is harmful because to say something like that is a very broad stroke um but seeing all my mutuals like so happy with this representation i'm like this is good and it's just like a good i think it's better than the first season i i most of our listeners have been here through my journey (laughs) of bridgerton um and i'm very happy with the second season i had a great time watching it um, I debated watching it a second time, and I might do mm-hmm. it, because um, I, I just thought it was really, I, I thought overall it was well done. I have my own personal feelings about the way they've sort of taken a romance and adapted it essentially into a drama. Um, yeah, yeah. But that as a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some issues with uh, the unqueerifying of some of the characters, because... 
Because, like, there, you cannot look me in the eyes and tell me that Benedict and Eloise were not at least bisexual in the first season. Minimum. And they literally, in the second season, were like, oh, no. <laughs> They're painfully straight. And I'm like, God, no, no. Because that would be, like, the all... And, like, it's really interesting because I've seen interviews pop up with, from the author, Julian mm-hmm. Quinn. No, Julia Quinn. Julia, Julia Quinn. Julia Quinn. Julia. Uh, about how she chose not to make the characters more diverse in her story. And obviously from it being... It, it, do your own research. Look that up on your own time. Um, it's interesting. I don't want to color people's opinion of it. I have my own opinion of it. Right. Um, but obviously Shondaland was like, mm, absolutely not. We're making this hella diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I'm like, where's the queerness? I wonder if that was like the negotiation was that the character's orientation would stay the same. But I'm like, you can't tell me that it is not in demand because the second you see, like, a sapphic or a gay Regency novel, that stuff sells. Yeah. People love those stories. And people are asking for them. The amount of people that have come onto my For You page over the last week and been like, where are the queer Bridgertons? Where are they? I want to read them. Absolutely, because they existed. They existed. Um, They did. They did. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting, interesting. But uh, the fact that uh, I walked down the aisle to an... Spoiler? (laughs) Regency. Um, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should put it as a spoiler spoiler warning for that. I just assume everyone's seen it, even though it's been out for, like, a week. <laughs> I know. Also, because we don't know when this episode's going up, so... That's true. Um, it could be could be in a, a year from now. That's not true. I hope it's coming not. out soon. Um, spoiler alert! <laughs> when Tweena walks down the aisle, which is different than the book, so I guess it is a spoiler. Um, at least my understanding, because, again haven't read the book yeah um, it is based on what i've seen on tw- tiktok it is different it does not happen in the book yeah but she walks down the aisle to sign of the times like a beautiful regency version of it and it's been stuck in my ass and they also have a cover of you ought to know in this season i'm sorry like they went mm. off with the soundtrack they did it is very good Ugh, you ought to know it's just the perfect kate song <laughs> the perfect Kate song. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, if you haven't seen Bridgerton Season 2, go check it out. Netflix Book Club, if you're listening, please reach out to us. We want to be involved. We love talking about book-to-movie adaptations, book-to-TV adaptations. Yeah, I just watched The Hunger Games last night, so... I Hit us watched... Up. <laughs> I watched ballet. <laughs> same thing. Very similar. <laughs> Hunger Games, ballet, tomato, tomato. Same. Shall we dive into these book reports? Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, Do you you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I went first for season one, so whatever you want to do. You pick, because I don't. Should we flip a coin? Oh my god, I don't have a coin. Do you have a coin? Mm. Who has changed this? Yeah, right. How does no. how let what how does your story end? Happy ending, sad ending, ambiguous ending. Um, ambiguous ending. 
Mine's also ambiguous. That does not help. Mine is, mine is like, there will be answers soon, but things are... Let's let's do this season flippy floppy. Yes, I agree. Great. I'll go first then. Great. <laughs> oh boy. Hold on to your butt cheeks. I'm so excited for this little book report boy. Um, this book report is called Who Owns What? Because it's not the author. <laughs> That's the title of the story. Um, <laughs> and this is about L.J. Smith, who I think is a pretty popular author. Um, is the author of the Vampire Diaries series, um, on top of many other series. Uh, and this talks about her not actually owning the rights to a lot of her book series. Um, and some things about publishing, I didn't know, but now I do, because I had to research it. So... I got a lot of my uh, info from a article written for Duke University. And um, author's name, Jesse Nguyen, wrote this article for this thing. There's also a Wall Street Journal article, but it was behind a paywall. So, <laughs> Wall Street Journal, please stop doing that. I get it. I get that people aren't buying print copies of things anymore, but I don't have money to subscribe to you. Sorry. Okay, so how I found out about this. There's this YouTuber called Jenny Nicholson. Have you heard of Jenny Nicholson? It sounds familiar. She does, like, incredibly long deep dive videos on things. She's done some Disney ones. Does um, she... Is her handle her name? Yeah. I'm she, sure I've watched one or two of her videos. She, how I came across her page was she did a video on Buzzy the animatronic that was stolen from... I think it's from Disney World. Oh. Uh, this whole thing with, like, urban explorers and people going into... Um, where's Epcot? Disney World. Disney World, then. Uh, Cranium Control is, like, a ride. People went in, stole this animatronic. Or they thought. This whole thing. Right. But she does these, like, really long deep dive videos. Mm. <laughs> so I came across this two-hour and 33-minute-long video on the Vampire Diaries. But her video talks about the entire franchise. So it had the section on L.J. Smith. Uh, and I was, it was just playing in the background one night and I overhear this and I was like, what is this? Cause I read so many LJ Smith books when I was growing up, mm -hmm. like Twilight happened and then it was like, okay, what else is out there? Mm -hmm. Vampire Diaries, obviously. Yep. Um, and so basically it's a, I'll just get into it. That yeah. was the preamble of how I got right. into it. LJ Smith, she began writing her first book in 1987 so she's like an older author Dang. uh this is this hilarious anecdote uh so the first book is called the night of the solstice and she wrote it when she was about 20 years old and it's described as having one of the ugliest covers of any book and it's very it's a very ugly cover <laughs> <laughs> i just had to put it in because i was like what is that that's so funny uh and it did well. Like, she's a good author, but it only sold, like, 5,000 copies. So it wasn't, like, a big hit. So she had gotten a degree in psychology. She was teaching in a public school, a kindergarten class. And she got a phone call from this company called Alloy Entertainment. And Alloy Entertainment is basically a book packaging and television production, like, component of mm. Warner Brothers. And I was like, what is book packaging? <laughs> So I'm going to tell you what book packaging is, and then I'm going to go back and tell you what is part of Alloy Entertainment. So book packaging, do you know what it is? No. Book packaging is this 
publishing activity, they call it, which the publishing company outsources tasks of the book and then sells it to publishers. So they'll come up with, like, a concept of a book and, like, all of the marketing stuff and then we'll find someone to write the story and then once it's a done thing, they'll sell it to a publisher. So this is, like, a practice that's used in traditional publishing where if they know there's a hole in the market, they will just reach out to someone being like, hey, can you write this teen book about zombies? Mm -hmm. It's really hot right now. We need to fill this hole. Mm. A lot of stuff is ghostwritten. People don't get credit for these books. Or they'll ghostwrite it and then they'll have a celebrity name on the book. Like, they wrote it. Got it. So, in many cases, the books are either uh, conceived first by these like by the book packaging company or an author will pitch it because they're not sure they will get traditionally published right like mm. it was seen as like a liaison between publishers publishers and authors gotcha uh but it's kind of a practice i don't think a lot of people know the bad side to it mm. because you don't end up owning the things that you're writing gotcha at the end of the day so also, a lot of these deals will have a flat rate for the manuscripts or, like, a dollar per word or something like this, but you mm-hmm. won't actually gain royalties off of the books. Which, again, we know, not great, especially when books blow up yeah. so many years later. So, Alloy Entertainment, hold on to your butt cheeks. This is crazy. They've had so many big books. Uh, most recently, Everything, Everything, and The Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon is oh. an Alloy Entertainment book. Uh, things like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars, The Lion Game, The 100, The Click, The Lux, The Oh my A-list. god, these are huge. These are huge. And the thing is, like, it's this pipeline, right? It's like, they have a niche, they get someone to write it, and then because they're a production company, they make the TV show of it, right? That's why The Click got a movie? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. But it's crazy, like... It's really smart from a marketing sense. Like, yeah. it's really streamlined in this sense, but it's wild. Yeah. So that's what book <laughs> book packaging is, okay. and that's Ello Entertainment. So let me scroll down a little bit. Um, an editor at Alloy basically came across some of Smith's, like, earlier books and was mm-hmm. like, hey, this person's got potential. Let's bring them on. Um, and said that they... <laughs> basically pitched the idea of interview with the vampire for teens and was like, write it. And she was like, okay. And this is like in the 90s still, the 1990s. Mm-hmm. No, so the 1990s. Yeah, actually 1790s. <laughs> Alloy's been around for so long. Um, so she wrote the trilogy in about nine months. Like she pumped out this series wow. for them. And then Alloy sold it to HarperCollins. Okay. And then she wrote a fourth book in 1992. So they released the trilogy in 1993. And, like, L.J. Smith, if you know L.J. Smith, she's notorious for, like, all of her books have, like, four books in them. Mm. And they're just, like, big, big books. Um, so that is a <laughs> that is something to consider. Got it. Um, and basically there was, like, this 10-year 
there was a long period of time that LJ was not writing for personal reasons. Something happened in her family, so she took a 10-year break and basically came out of retirement, retirement, uh, in 2007 because of That was air quotes. Um, Thank you. Retirement. She was not, she had a family... (laughs) She needed to take care of some kids yeah. kind of situation. Uh, but Twilight happened, and people were like, okay, we want more vampire. What's out there? And obviously mm. Vampire Diaries had already been published, and it, it got really, really popular really, really quickly. Oh. Um, and then the TV series started in 2009. Yes. Which I did not realize it was 2009. That's crazy to think about. Uh, show had eight seasons, and during that time, the book series got really, really, really popular, sold 5 million copies. And Smith was receiving royalties on the TV show because she was a creator on the TV show. Okay. So that is something to remember, was that she's, because she's credited as a creator on the TV show, she's making royalties, but does not technically own the book series. So was Alloy um, attached to the TV show? Um, I do not... It was the CW, so I guess that's Warner Brothers. So I think yeah. they were. Okay. In some way. Because, yes, they were. Because. Something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so then, basically, in February of 2011, so the show's happening, people mm-hmm. are loving it. Fans from a newsletter sent by her get this email that is like, this is confidential. This is a direct quote. This is still confidential, but I've been fired from writing The Vampire Diaries. And people were like, what? And so basically, L.J. Smith was removed from the series. And instead of receiving back a manuscript that she had submitted, they sent her a letter saying that someone was going to be taking over the series for her. And basically, Alloy just said, Alloy said that they no longer required her services on the series. On the which is like, TV oh. series. On the book series. On the books, okay. So there and were on the books. TV series. So she, there were new books being published when the show There's like came 17 out? books in this series. There's so many books. Yes. So basically, the books had not been finished writing, being mm. written, sorry, when the TV show started. So gotcha. this is actually part of why the split happened. So in the TV show, they were heading down the direction of Elena and... Stefan being together. Spoiler. <laughs> it's been years. It has been years. It has I been feel years. No. Um, and Smith wanted to finish the book series with Damon and Elena being together because that was a the ship she was more invested in and also fans of the series were expressing that was the one they were more interested in. Gotcha. Which I can attest to because I've seen very little... I've read more of the books than I've seen the TV show, but Damon and Elena... I personally think are the better ship. Um, okay. I don't know why. I think it's Keep in mind, I way. have not read these books or seen the show, so I have no context. They're, okay, so they're, bra- oh, I should tell you a little bit about it. Let me tell you. Elena is a woman. She's a little girl. No, she's a teenager. Sorry. I just, full life cycle. She's she a little is, girl. <laughs> she's an adult, little girl, teenager. Uh, her parents... Okay, this is me telling you, but I've not read these books in years, so this could be wrong. I also just forgot to look up this notes. It's fine. You didn't plan on telling me the synopsis of these books. That's okay. I, her parents, I think, pass away, so she goes to live with another family member, with her and her little brother. I think. Um, 
And she meets these brothers. They're brothers. Okay. Stefan and Damon are brothers. And they're vampires. Surprise. Spoiler alert. What? And um, she falls in love with both of them. It's like classic love triangle. Right. Business. And um, we find out that Elena has a ancestor named Catherine who's also played by Nina Dobrev. Okay. And you can only tell them apart because... Catherine has curled hair sometimes, and Elena has straight hair. Okay. Classic. Um, yep. And it's basically just, like, them in high school. And, like, their town has witches. Her friend Bonnie is a witch. And right. vampires. And I think also shifter slash werewolves. It's, like, paranormal okay. romance yeah, yeah, central. Yeah, yeah. But it. also, like, gossip girl. Right. Um, Thank you. You're so welcome. It was not a very good description. Also, probably wrong. But that's <laughs> the gist. That is the gist of it. Um... So, basically, people reached out to Alloy's president at, uh, named Leslie Morgenstern. Morgenstein. Morgenstein, not Stern. Uh, to speak about what happened, and he basically said, we wanted to go in different directions than the writer, so they let LJ go. And, basically, fans were like, what? <laughs> and Smith was like, please don't boycott the show. Like, please don't boycott the books. There's still parts of my writing that are going to be coming out in the next two books. And, like, she was being very kind after being kicked off this show that was hers and this book series that was hers. Um, she also, basically, <laughs> she, she she was met with a lot of fans being like, like, this is an excerpt from a fan. It was mm -hmm. like, Oh no, sorry, this isn't a an, this is her letter to her fans. My apologies. She says, You may wonder how they can go on writing books without me. It's because when I was originally called by an agent to write the first trilogy, that agent was a book packager, someone who puts together books and sells them to publishers. And what I wrote, I wrote for hire. Although I didn't even know what that meant back in 1990. When I wrote the first books, when I wrote the first books, I found out soon enough. It meant that even though I wrote the series, Alloy Entertainment owns the series. I own nothing. And Alloy and HarperCollins wanted me to write this ship and less of Bonnie, who is the witch best friend character. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I, in my heart, could not do that. And basically, <laughs> she goes to say, book packagers are like meek, obedient authors who do exactly as they're told. I am not that way. Wow. So... More of these books come out, mm -hmm. and on the covers it says created by L.J. Smith, and then underneath it say written by this ghostwriter, who I believe her name is Aubrey Clark. Okay. So it still has her name on all of these books, because it's a selling point. Mm -hmm. So her name is on these books that she is no longer writing, which is already kind of icky, in my opinion. Wow. Um, and... Basically, Harper Collins took the side of Alloy and was like, yeah, sorry. And I was like, yeesh, yeesh, yeesh. Um, And fans were like, excuse me, what is going on? One fan saying, I don't care if the books ended with Elena getting hit by a truck. Her creation, her right. It doesn't end that way. Uh, right. It was an exaggeration. <laughs> sorry. I saw the confusion on your face. I'm like, didn't end like that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I don't know it does. Um, it should not be up to the publishers to decide how she writes her books. If they can't agree, then they should simply not publish the new books. They should not steal her work of more than 20 years. If Miss Smith wants to write her books with Elena and Damon running off together, 
that is her right um so people were obviously like divided of like do we continue to support the series do i continue to support lj smith right and basically she shifted towards other series so it's my understanding and it was so incredibly difficult to find information on this because I do not think LOA Entertainment exists anymore. It's uh, either been bought out or it doesn't... Because their website is corrupt. Couldn't find mm-hmm. it. I was like, what is the list? Because she has another series called The Secret Circle, okay. which was greenlit by CW for a show. Oh. Um, and I assume was also an LOA Entertainment book. Maybe. But I could not find enough information. Right. But she shifts to another book she was writing for Simon & Schuster... That mm-hmm. was her own thing. And basically, she's continue, she would continue to get checks every month for this property for because she was still a writer, technically a creator of the show. So she was getting royalty checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, was, she goes on to say that she's never felt such a sense of emptiness in the world um. Um, because she had to abandon these, this world and characters that right. she loves so much. And then, this is the crazy part. <laughs> in 2013... A friend emailed her saying that there's a way that she could continue to write this series. Okay. So there is this thing. It no longer exists. Existed for for a very long, very short amount of time. Um, five years. Called Kindle Worlds. Have you heard of this? No. Kindle Worlds is a platform created by Amazon that allows fans to write and publish legal versions of stories that they have property to so it's basically this fan fiction forum right for people to write fan fiction of properties that it owns that is owned by kindle worlds okay. or like they have property to whatever whatever whatever, whatever. Right, right, right. they have a specific license that allows people to write fan fiction under these intellectual properties okay. of established works and guess what was there the Vampire Diaries. So, L.J. Smith has two published fictions on Kindle Worlds. Fan fiction of her own work. <gasps> oh, my God. Because she didn't get to write the ending she wanted to her book series that she has, that she created. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. And it's like... Something like 35% of the net sales of the books go to... Like, it's this, like, depending on how many words, that's how much money goes towards. And she said it wasn't as good as what she was making with Alloy, mm-hmm. but at least she owned. <laughs> at least it was right. hers. Yeah. So these are the the, sti- the the intellectual properties that are uh, people could write in mm. Kindle World. Yeah. G.I. Joe. Gossip Girl. Veronica Mars. Pretty Little Liars, Ravenswood, Vampire Diaries, and The World of Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, and there's other ones, <laughs> which right. is weird. I, I love that one because there was other ones, but I didn't know it. So those mm. were the ones I knew, like the more okay. popular ones. Yeah. Uh, which seems like a lot of Alloy Entertainment books. And yeah. Out there. But basically she wrote uh, Evening Song, Paradise Lost, which is a novella, or no, which is a book, a novel, and then the novella, The War of Roses, mm. which are two canon compliant <laughs> fan fictions of her own work wow um which just to me to hear that an author had to resort to writing fan fiction of their own work to get to, the ending they wanted to get the ending that they wanted and their fans deserved is crazy to me um 
And then the vampire uh, diaries world kind of came to a close. The yeah. TV show stopped. No more books were being published. LJ said that she had planned to write eight more books to bring her version of the world to an end. Wow. Obviously, that did not happen. Um, but this talks a lot about... And then there's this article. It's quite interesting. This, uh, this author, person of the article, talks about how because of things like book packaging mm-hmm. is what self-publishing kind of came out of. was like... Uh because it wasn't such a big thing when this was happening people wanted to publish their books but didn't want to have someone else own their property so then that's when the boom of self-publishing really started happening which i thought was really interesting i didn't realize you don't really think like what caused yes something to happen and i don't think it was just like because of book publishing but i know it's part of um probably a stepping stone in that direction yeah but L.J. Smith, no one's heard from her in years. This is the ambiguous ending. This is where we get to Mm. the the closing of our saga. Um, No one's really heard from her in years. She was diagnosed with a chronic illness. It's very long. In 2015. And has kind of taken a step back. Mm -hmm. Um, And hasn't really been putting out new books. Although I visited her website and it said announcement coming soon. But I don't know how long that's been up there. Right. So I guess we'll never know. But... The Vampire Diaries is such a long series. I, like, have all the books in the series at the very end. Right. And I think out of... I think it's 17-ish. Six of them are ghostwritten. Wow. By this other person. And that's crazy. So this is... Yeah, that's the story of L.J. Smith, the author of one of the most popular book series of all times. You know... Yeah. It's very pop- people know the Vampire Diaries, yeah. and does not own uh, uh does not own a single thing about it, except her fan fiction, except that fan fiction, baby, <laughs> except for that fan fiction of her own work. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. That was what a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Imagine, imagine your twenty years of work. And someone's like, ooh, actually, You signed no a contract. Thanks. It's not yours. You signed a contract in 1990. When you didn't and know you anything. Still, when you did not know a thing. I don't think book packaging happens. I mean, it kind of does, though. Because the Nicola Yoon books, those are recent. Yeah. Those it, are then recent. Alloy must have closed after those books came out. I, they, I don't... I think... I imagine this press, because this only really got a lot of attention in, like, 2019-ish. It started blowing up. I feel like the press may be not so good for them. But, like, some of these TV series, like, the the originals, like, these spinoff shows, I'm like, those are more recent, so I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. But their website's crept, so I don't think they exist anymore. But Wikipedia also said they didn't close down, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Wikipedia... (laughs) Wikipedia doesn't know, so I don't know. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, so read your contracts, kids. Know what you're signing up for. Yeah. And I don't think book packaging, I just want to say this, I don't think all book packaging is bad, per se. Because I I understand, like, for people who don't want, like, the notoriety or, like, don't really care if they own the intellectual property, right? Like, people probably make a good living 
doing book packaging work and just being a writer for hire. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's all bad. I think in this instance, it was not great. Yeah. But I could see, like, the... I, I get from a marketing standpoint how something like that would be useful for companies because basically they outsource books when they don't have the resources to deal with the entire series or like right we want this just to be done and then they can sell it to the publishers so i get it but also like boo a little boo little boo boo you know yeah and now i'm like so curious about all those other series yeah and like i think the the click it was either the click or gossip girl was written by i think it was the oh i don't know uh, was written by an editor at Alloy Entertainment. Oh. And they were just like, I think it was Gossip Girl. And it was like, we want something to fill this, like, like an intern was like, this is a thing. And they were like, okay. So then they wrote it. So I was like, this is really interesting because I didn't know. I read so many Gossip Girl <laughs> books growing up. Yeah. I didn't. It's crazy. I read The Click. The Click? Freaking, um... You said Pretty, Pretty Little, Little Liars, Liars was huge. on that list, too. Huge. And crazy. Big series. Like huge series, series. Series with, not just, like, in popularity, but, like, many, many, many books. So many books. And it's, like, because they had somebody just writing them, or, like, multiple people, because we don't know. Like, yeah. Aubrey Clark could be multiple people. I don't think it's a person, right? Like, it's a right. pen name, obviously. So who knows how many books they were churning out. It's, like, an entity. Yeah, specifically for that. But, like, they had probably so many ghostwriters on their staff. But it's, I mean, it's smart. And they're owned by Warner Brothers. So Mm. it makes sense that they had this pipeline for these books. And, like, it made them, every single one of those series is incredibly successful. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, dude. Wow. Great job. Um, Okay. Are you ready for story numero dos? I'm very excited. Okay, so the title of my story is, because I actually have a title this time. (gasps) Can you love books too much? The story of the man arrested for stealing book manuscripts. Oh my god, yes! (laughs) Dun, dun, dun! So I found out about this through a TikTok um, of somebody, and I cannot remember the user's name, um, cause I watched this in January when this hit the news, um, yes. that they were recapping this New York times article. And, um, the sources for all of this are the department of justice, us attorney's office, Southern district of New York, a statement that they put out NPR, New York times and vulture. Dang. So on January 5th of this year, 2022, Filippo, Filippo, (laughs) Filippo Bernardini, a 29-year-old Italian citizen, was charged with wire fraud and aggravated identity theft in connection with a multi-year scheme to impersonate individuals involved in the publishing industry in order to fraudulently obtain hundreds of pre-publication manuscripts of novels and other forthcoming books. Okay, pause. Aggravated identity theft. Okay. It's, I'm, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into it and, like, what he did. And it is crazy. I just can This is what I imagined when you said that. The mental image I got was, like, a little Italian man, uh, like, big handlebar mustache, just mm. going up to someone and just screaming in their face, I'm stealing your identity! 
Because, like, how that, like, aggravated identity theft? Not just that it's aggra- like, aggravated. Like, that's funny. That's funny. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so, he was arrested at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York uh, on January 5th and is believed to have obtained hundreds of unpublished manuscripts from August 2016 to July 2021, according to prosecutors. Um, so, the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damien Williams, said, quote, this real-life storyline now reads as a cautionary tale, with the plot twist of Bernardini facing federal criminal charges for his misdeeds. So he was based in London and was actually working for Simon & Schuster UK in the Foreign <gasps> Rights Department. Dang, I did not know that. Yeah. He started impersonating agents, editors, and other people involved in the publishing industry to obtain pre-published manuscripts. So, like, why is that important? What's what's the big deal? Why is this not okay? <laughs> um, the unauthorized release of a manuscript can actually undermine the economics of publishing. Mm. Makes sense. And sure. publishing houses actively work to stop the release of pirated books in pre-publication. And then as we know, you know, post-publication piracy, also yeah. not good. Um, and the pirating of books pre-publication can actually affect any future work for the manuscript. Like if it were to go on to be optioned for film and TV. Yeah. So that's kind of like one of the aspects of it. Also, it's just like you're impersonating somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so who was this guy who was he because nobody Tell knew me. who he was so yeah. he began charting a career in publishing when he was young i mean he is young he's 29 so he was an undergraduate in milan in the early 2010s and majored in modern languages with a specialty in english and mandarin in 2015 he moved to the UK for a master's in publishing at the University College London, where his classmates remember him as a good student and one of the many stock characters that populate such programs, according to Vulture. So that's like not a very flattering description. of You are a stock oh, character. Oh, wait. Uh, the standout quotes from this Vulture article from some of his classmates include, quote, he was loud, boisterous. Nothing would really daunt him. Another person said, quote, my lasting impression of him was how confident but borderline rude he was. <laughs> Another quote, we'd eventually all just take anything he said with a pinch of salt. He yeah. seemed like someone who would always exaggerate to ensure they had the best story in the room. Um, he also seemed to spend most of his time preparing to hustle up the publishing ladder with another person saying, quote, I always felt like he was sizing me up to gauge me as future competition. Yeah. So. Dang. <laughs> um, and then just to give you a little like insight into where his sort of like specialties lie, according to a resume he sent on to later potential employers, he wrote his dissertation on the translation of children's literature with a case study of one story in particular, the tale of Pinocchio. Okay. Which hilarious. Um, 
just because he lies a lot. He lies a lot. He would have a very long nose. Indeed. Uh, So during his master's program, he worked as a reader for Marlene Seegers, a literary agent based in California, and interned at Granada, the venerable London publisher and literary magazine. Again, according to Vulture. (laughs) Direct quote from Vulture. Um, The range of languages he could read, and then on top of that, his uh, proficiency in PHP and HTML made him a valuable asset to London's international book scene, but he was also coming out of these programs with a slew of the same qualifications as his classmates. So yeah. it's like, what is your edge? How are you a standout? So 2016 rolls around, and he has an internship with Andrew Nuremberg Associates, a literary agency in London. And one of his colleagues recalled him as friendly, but difficult to get close to. <laughs> so <Me. laughs> um, he did apply for a full-time job, but he didn't get it. Um, and according to Vulture, uh, who did a really big write-up on this whole thing, like a month after he got arrested, um, yeah. the agency declined to comment. And Bernardini, through his attorney, broadly disputed the description of his time at Nuremberg. Um, according to one person who knew him there, uh, he later accosted several of the company's agents on the street, shouting and <laughs> swearing at them. Um, and shortly after he left Nuremberg, the company's website was hacked. Someone <sighs> logged in, defaced the profile pages of its agents, publishing personal information alongside nasty comments. So, and wait, was he fired or did he leave? I think he just left because he applied okay. for a full-time job while gotcha. he was interning. So I think he gotcha. finished his internship, but gotcha. was clearly upset he was not given the full-time position. Yeah, like the level of pettiness to like, stand outside someone's workplace and just yell at them. Funny. Right? Not funny? Funny. Um, and apparently there were some pretty insulting things, either about personal appearances or really sexualized inventions. Um, and mm. Nuremberg never identified the culprit. So obviously, he's good at his job. Obviously, now people are thinking that it was him because obviously he was hacking into all of these things. Um, yeah. So potentially they could get an answer um, after everything comes out. But as of right now, it's purely speculation that he is the person that was hacked. It's pretty coincidental that it was right after he left. Yeah. Um, but it's not proven that it was him. It's like when serial killers are in prison, they're like, how many other bodies? They're like, you'll never know. It's like, dude, just admit to it, man. Literally. Literally. Just admit to it. So it's during his time at this internship that his digital robbery is believed to have begun. He was digital robbery. robbery. He was 24. 24 and thriving. (laughs) So the earliest victims of this scheme were the kinds of people that him and his colleagues would have been emailing every day all over the world at this internship. Um, That fall. And the the one thing about this um, Vulture article, I will say, it was a little confusing on the timeline. So I'm not sure if this was like 2016 or 2017, but I think this is saying like in 2016, um, an editor at a Spanish publisher was impersonated. And so was a Greek foreign rights manager. Um, Both were asking an agent about an upcoming short story collection. So because of his position, it would have given him a really big understanding of the global book trade who talks to who, how they talk to them. And something that came up um, 
in not talking about like his early life but just in general is that the reason it took so long to pin him down was it sounded like somebody that was in publishing like and i'll kind of get into how he um did a couple things but all of his emails and like correspondence with people was in like publishing speak and so it felt like somebody that was in the know but he did make a couple mistakes along the way. So in his early days, um, he ended up uh, impersonating a Swedish book editor, asking somebody at Scribner about a new collection of F. Scott Fitzgerald stories, but without realizing that um, it was odd for this person to be asking for those because they worked exclusively in children's books. So why would they be asking for F. Scott Fitzgerald? <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald is my favorite children's book. <laughs> Uh, but it does seem as though he uh, realized the error of his ways pretty quickly. So starting in 2016, he began pitching himself to Italian publishers as a translator. So translating to Italian. Gotcha. His cold emails were pretty typical of like people trying to break into this industry. And he was like very persistent emailing multiple editors at the same publisher multiple times over multiple years. Um, And the Vulture article says, quote, he seemed to possess a surprising amount of information about the industry, like what books were on submission, how agents were pitching various titles, and who was buying them. But then also, he had this long catalog of languages that he claimed to speak. So in addition to Mandarin, he pitched translations from Swedish, German, Dutch, Danish, and Korean. Is that true? Could he actually speak those languages? I don't think so. <laughs> we need to check his, like, Tinder profile because he would sure reflects <laughs> that on a profile. Yeah, right? Um, we know he did his undergrad with Mandarin. So we know yes. he speaks Italian, Mandarin, and English. The other languages... That's a lot of other languages, though. Yeah. Um, and one of his last books he proposed to publishers before his arrest was Frida Iceberg's Merking, um, which uh, meant he was claiming to read Icelandic. And... Publishers were willing to give him a chance because it's not easy to find an Icelandic to Italian translator. Sure, very niche. Um, But uh, according to the Vulture article, several editors said that his translations were not up to their standards. Dang. So not sure that uh, they were actually translations. Very good. So in 2018, he was hired by the Italian publisher La Nave di Teseo Teseo, um, to translate the Chinese writer Rao Pingru's best-selling memoir, Our Story. Hmm. And the director of La Nave di Teseo, Elisabetta Scavari, said he always gave smart suggestions regarding less famous and less obvious translations, and that his work with the publisher was an occasional but intelligent collaboration and that Hmm. nothing made her suspect he might have been up to anything nefarious. So then they actually hired him to translate two more books, so three in total, and these two were in Korean, one being Bong Joon-ho's storyboards from the movie Parasite, and Hmm. um, and a novel by Kim Ji-young. So all three of the books he translated for them uh, were targeted in the impersonation scheme as were other titles he was pitching to other publishers. 
And one Italian translator told Vulture that early access to manuscripts might give Bernardini a head start on working up a sample translation. Others pointed out how unusual it was for a literary translator to work in both Korean and Mandarin, not to mention all the other languages he claimed to read. Um, And that perhaps the reason he sometimes asked for manuscripts in their original language and English was to make his translation work easier. Um, And there were actually several occasions that the thief tried to dupe other translators into writing up a reader's report on a book, which scouts and agents use to help determine whether a book is worth their time. So he's just trying to, like, outsource the things that he needs for his scam from other people. Dang. Yeah. So then in 2018, this is probably one of the most... There were, like, several famous authors that were targeted, um, one of them being Margaret Atwood. So (laughs) in 2018, agents at Curtis Brown, a literary agency in London, spent months defending themselves against aggressive attempts to steal... Atwood's The Testaments, her sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Not long after, Bernardini walked in to Curtis Brown for an interview about an assistant position that would have him handling the work of several big-name authors. And then a quote from a Curtis Brown agent says, If Filippo is the hacker, it's like something from a film for him to have sat in the very office of the people he'd been tormenting for almost a year. What? This is just so crazy. Like, this man, like, the audacity of this man to be like, yeah, I have a right to do this. Yeah. And then there's a couple um, instances where he emailed people, like, how he had done with the internship. Like, yeah. just saying out-of-pocket things to them because he wasn't getting his way, which is, like... You're already Again, stealing. The yeah. <laughs> um, so it seems that sometime between 2020 and 2021 is when he landed his full-time job in the Foreign Rights Department at Simon & Schuster, UK. Yes. And the scheme that he's accused of conducting seemingly continued up until the day before he was arrested, when a <laughs> British editor was impersonated trying to convince a Korean-speaking writer to produce a report on a new novel by Song Young Park. On the morning he was taken into custody, Bernardini's boss at Simon & Schuster CC'd him on an email sent to colleagues around the world talking up a new thriller they were shopping out of New Zealand. So he was still working (laughs) um, up until he was arrested. Uh, After the arrest, Simon & Schuster UK said it was, quote, shocked and horrified to learn about the allegations. The publisher added that Bernardini has been suspended until more information comes to light. and I don't know where his He's employment... not even fired? At that point, I guess because they were allegations, like, yeah. he was going into, like, pretrial or whatever. Um, so I didn't get any updates on what his employment situation is right now. But he is expected back in court on April 5th, which is actually the week we are That's recording this episode, which is crazy. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh with him so now that's a little bit of his backstory how did he make this happen yeah what's going on so this isn't a how-to guide if you do this you will go to prison yeah literally he's facing he's facing up to 20 years yeah i mean i i would be curious how much money was lost because of him so interesting 
Interesting. So he ended up creating fake email accounts that were designed to impersonate real people employed in the publishing industry. And this is where, like, the aggravated um, impersonation comes in. So he created these accounts by registering more than 160 internet domains that were crafted to be confusingly similar to the real entities that they were impersonating, including only minor typographical errors that would be difficult for the average recipient to identify during a cursory review. So he would often replace letters like the letter M with R and N, because when they're next to each other, they look like an M. And it's like little things like that is how he would write out people's names and impersonate real people. So, for example, the FBI shared that in September of 2020, he used an email address to impersonate a well-known editor at a well-known publishing house. Obviously, they redacted those names, so bear with me. (laughs) Um, He used this email address to email a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, again, name redacted, (laughs) and requested a copy of their upcoming book. Because that author believed he was the editor for this well-known publishing house, the author sent it to him. He wasn't just pretending to be an editor, like, in general. He was a specific person. Yeah. So, um, other writers that, um, other than Atwood that he was, had targeted were Ethan Hawke and Sally Rooney. But he also oh, no. um, went after, like, story collections and first-time authors. So it wasn't just big things. The big names. So what, hap- what happened to these manuscripts that he obtained, yeah, right? Because like totally. you said, like, what were the financial distances? None of them seemed to show up on the black market or the dark web. Ransom demands never materialized. And... The indictment details how Bernardini went about the scheme, but not why. So, it's possible that he didn't it's use... just petty. He's just being petty. And the, it's like, like what, was, what was the reason? What was the reason? <laughs> what was the reason? <laughs> so, it's possible that he didn't use the manuscripts in a way to be resold, but for information to get ahead in the industry, which is like... That's all for personal gain. I mean, it's it's that, all for personal gain, but, like, that's really specific personal gain. That sounds like the kid who goes up to the teacher being like, can I have extra work? And you're like, for what? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, to sit and do all that work for yourself only? For what reason? Um, and Kelly Farber, a literary scout, was quoted a couple times saying, what he's been stealing is basically a huge amount of information that any publisher anywhere would be able to use to their advantage. So oh. early knowledge in a rights department could be an advantage for an employee trying to prove his worth. Publishers compete and bid to publish work abroad, for example, and knowing what's coming, who is buying what, and how much they're paying could give companies an edge. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, a couple people think that he probably had an unnamed accomplice. 
Um, Hollywood has a hearty appetite. (laughs) Um, I think this is from the Vulture article. uh, Quote, Hollywood has a hearty appetite for getting its hands on adaptable IP. And Bernardini seemed to attend a lot of movie premieres um, with a quote from his Instagram in 2016. OMG, just 40 meters far from goddess Amy Adams at the premiere of Arrival at BFI, BFI London Film Festival, Oscars 2017. Hashtag film. The fact that he says OMG. It's uh, it's so it's O M G G G G G G G all caps. That's um, funny. And then there's the suggestion that he just loved books or that he got some satisfaction from a game that brought him closer to the heart of an industry he aspired to be part of. Um yeah. so yeah, that's that's like the the meat and potatoes of it. Do you have any questions before I go on? I think it's just funny that like the most reasonable out of those like three suggestions, uh, like just being petty, like information in the industry, and then like just a personal collection. The personal collection seems most reasonable to me because right? book collectors are crazy. <laughs> Right? Book collectors. I mean, if not, we are all book collectors here, I assume. We're a little crazy. This is not that we're his level, but like, it's funny. It's like, not I'm funny, not but it's funny. I'm not gonna go to jail for it. No, but like, we all know someone that you're like, you love books a little too much. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, which one was it? Because it's not all of them. Like, no, no. It's so interesting. There's gonna be, there's gonna be a Lifetime movie of this at some oh point. absolutely there has to be this is this is wild and like the fact that they haven't pinpointed something like whether he had accomplices like nothing has come out about that so we'll see yeah. if anything comes out in the trial um but so on top of all of this yeah right he was also doing a fishing scheme <laughs> okay And he was trying to basically, like, gain access to a database by a New York-based literary scouting company. And so it didn't go very far. It seems like he only got a hold of, like, a handful of people's information. And what he did with that information, nobody knows right now. Um, But basically, he created a web page imitating the scouting companies. And then sent out emails, again, pretending to be an employee of the company. Same shtick. Um, And so the people that were emailed were directed to his fake website, where they then entered their personal information, which was then sent to Filippo's email. And he gained their personal information. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. Big yikes. Yeah. So, to wrap this up, the week following his arrest, he was released on a $300,000 cash bond, which was required to surrender, uh, and was required to surrender his passport and agree to a curfew while staying at a friend's one bedroom apartment in the West Village before finding a place of his own. Which, like, <laughs> $300,000 is not a lot. Like, it's a lot, but in, like, the scheme of, like, criminal, like, criminality. I guess, like, that's what then the courts weighed as 
like the equal value of what his crime was, right? Like if he's going to offend again. Kind right? of. Because this this is just like the pre thing. Because now he, we know he's going to trial this week. Yeah. Um, where he faces up to 20 years in prison and he has pleaded not guilty. Babe, how? <laughs> how are you not guilty in this? Not even a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, we'll see. Maybe I will have an update insert by the time this episode comes out, uh, with how the trial goes, but who knows how long this trial is going to go. That's, this is very strange. <laughs> it is. And it's like years. And it seems like from the articles I was reading that the publishing industry knew that this was happening. Yeah. And they were clearly trying to figure out who it was, but they were so well concealed. Yeah. That there was just, there was, like, so many people were like, we're so thankful to the FBI for figuring this out. (laughs) Well, because, like, I think it would be worse if it was high profile during this before. Because, like, I had heard about this when he was arrested. It was, Mm -hmm. like, talked about on, on TikTok a little bit. But, like, I think if it was high profile while it was still happening i think it would have gotten worse because i think he's Mm -hmm. looking to like have some amount of fame i don't know i don't know i don't know and i'm strange yeah so it's interesting it's interesting that there clearly was no like black market financial gain from him obviously there's like the potential that what he obtained was then used to further his career and like made money at work because yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but, like, what what was the reason? <laughs> yeah. That is very interesting to me. Yeah. A hundred and A hundred and sixty domains. That's, like, me trying to get, like, a whole bunch of free trials from something. Just making so many emails so I could sign up to free trials. Right, but you're not stealing their It's a joke. It was not a very good joke. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bit. Like, I get what you're saying, but... (laughs) I wasn't stealing identities. It's just Mm -hmm. me using... I've never actually done that. That's way too much work. Remembering all those passwords? Mm -mm. Also, okay, this is the thing. This is what I wanted to say. Yes. That man probably probably could have had a very lucrative career in, like, computer science. I don't know why right? he didn't just lean into that. Like, if he's so good at all this stuff, like, what? Like, is could hell have bent with... on being in publishing? Which and didn't really seem to be working out for him for a while there. Sure, it, literally. Like, I get it, but, like, he could have found success in other ways. Sometimes mm. it's okay to admit you're wrong and just go with... Just go in a different direction. Yeah. Oh, man. This is crazy. What a crazy little story. Great job. So, thank you. That's it. The story of the man stealing manuscripts. What a what a legend. We'll see a, we'll see a Netflix series on it in a couple years. Absolutely. It'll be crazy. like... Um, Z. It'll be like every other hacker show. They're very popular. People love very them. Very popular. They do? They do. Okay, current Ready for reads. current reads? Yeah, good reads is back up, in case anyone oh, was nervous. great. Let me find one. 
Um, so first up, I just want to say, I finished the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Um, I obviously cannot give a lot of information about that, the third book, The Stone Sky. Um, but I just wanted to say I finished it. I really loved it. I cannot wait to read more of her backlist. Um, I think it's going to be a toss up between 100,000 Kingdoms and The City We Became, just kind of like depending on my mood. But... Mm. Oh, I'm like already ready to reread the series because I was so confused, but I loved it so much. <laughs> um, but then, so I, I have been in very much in like a fantasy and romance mood. mood. Romance mood. Um, so the last romance book that I read that ju- I was like screaming into my phone at Danielle um, mm-hmm. is called The Last Eligible Billionaire by Pippa Grant. And I was sent this book by Valentine PR, so thank you, but I had no idea it was coming. I had no idea what it was about. And it turns out to be such a wonderful little surprise (laughs) that I'm so glad I decided to pick up. Um, Basically, we have uh, this man. um, Don't ask me names. I already forget them. Um, (laughs) And he is the last eligible single heterosexual billionaire in the world. Oh, his, okay. His brother just got married and he uh, runs off to his home on an island off the coast of Maine to try and escape his mother and his family's meddling practices of trying to set him up with somebody and get him married off. Um, because obviously people are just in it for the money. Um, his family is trying to help, but they're not really helping him and he just wants to be alone. So he walks into his house and he can clearly see that it is in use. Um, the fridge doors wide open. There's like dirt on the floor. He sees puppy paw pads and he's like, what is going on? (laughs) So... He goes upstairs, and lo and behold, there is a woman waxing her bikini area in his bathroom, wearing his robe, singing very off-key and loudly. (laughs) And he is faced with the realization that someone has broken into his house. And now you might be thinking, okay, I feel bad for him, because clearly he doesn't know what's going on. But also, there's a woman about to be alone in a house with a man who's presumably about to start screaming at her. So who do you Mm -hmm. feel bad for? The answer is both of them. And... (laughs) Everybody for different reasons. (laughs) Yes. So now she, again, names out of my brain. So sorry. Um, She is made violently aware that someone is screaming at her that she is in their house. And she believes that she is renting this mansion for $50 a day for two (laughs) weeks. Oh my god! so she does not know what's going on. She thinks somebody has broken in. They start throwing things at each other. And then they sort of come to an agreement that either, like, she's going to give him the information, she's going to leave, ba-da-da-da-da. But then her dog breaks a priceless statue classic and she clearly does not have the money to replace it 
as this is happening, he gets a phone call from his dear, dear brother that his mother is on the way to the house with a woman in tow. So he says, okay, you can't pay for this statue. We're going to (laughs) date. We're in love, actually. And they sign an NTA. And so begins the whirlwind romance between a uh, art teacher and a billionaire. Um, And I had a lot of fun. It's, It's very funny. There's just all of this, like, kooky, crazy things going on because obviously there's so much money at play which I enjoy sometimes like I love the because it's reality but it's like there's so much money in use that anything's possible um the things that kind of took me out a little bit were there's this like grief part because his cousin has just died like a week or two before and he is taking over his cousin's position at the company so he's the new cfo um at his family's entertainment company which is called razzle dazzle boo (laughs) um we did we did i was like that's it you're going with that Okay." okay um and there instead of kind of like dealing with that grief and like giving it its own moment in the book. We got these several moments throughout the book, which mm. I was like, if this is a rom-com, I don't, I personally don't want that stuff in here. Yeah. Like, I want to focus on the couple. I want to focus on the, like, craziness of this, like, contract signing. Like, there's this dog that <laughs> is, like, messing things up all the time. And um, this girl who, like, has no idea what's going on. Um, but we're constantly, like hearing about her past and like his grief and there's just like one or two too many things in there that I'm like one of these has to go yeah um and then the other part of it that I'm I can't tell if I got a pre like a proof copy or if I got um the finished copy of the book is there were a couple moments where the main character sounded British the guy um but and like things he said were very british but Mm. we never got like an address of whether he had an accent where his family was from because they live in new york um that's where the company is based so i was like if he was going to be british i wish that had been played on a little more like her making fun of his accent or things he said um but they were just, like, not addressed. So that was, like, another weird just, like, moment for me that I was, like, I wish yeah. that this had been teased out a little bit more. But those things aside, I mean, I was, like, screaming at Danielle every day for three days. I loved it so much. <laughs> and if you were wondering where you could get it, guess what? It's on Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's on Kindle Unlimited. I saw it and I was, like, holy, sh- holy smokes. This never happened. <laughs> <laughs> People never recommend me Kindle Unlimited. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's on my list. Um, it seems like a very fun little time, you know? Yeah, fun little time. Time. We are like, uh, I am almost. I'm pretty close to hitting um, halfway through my reading goal, which is crazy. But I've read. Okay, so, like, I read, like, three really good romance books back-to-back. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Deirdre talked about dating Dr. Dill, so I won't go into detail about that, but it's great. Please go read it. And if you haven't reviewed it on Goodreads, please go give it a review on Goodreads. Um, and then I read Hook, Line, and Sinker, which was just great also by Tess Bailey, who we love. Uh, and then I read Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake, which is so good. It is criminally good. Um, the book follows Delilah. Delilah Green, actually. <laughs> Hence the name of the book. Uh, and she is a photographer in New York. And she's like an up-and-coming um, artist who <laughs> has a very niche <laughs> photography field. Where it's like queer people and water. It's very niche. Um, it's not just what It's like queer anger and then like nature is kind of what her niche is. Um, and so she is called in the- she- she <laughs> wakes up to her phone ringing. She's in a bed she doesn't know next to a woman she does not remember the name of. And she goes out to answer the phone and it's her stepsister Astrid being like, hey, you know you have to be home because you're photographing my wedding, right? And she's like, ah, yep. <laughs> so she, like, sneaks out of the apartment, gets a little plane dicky back home to Bright Falls, I believe is what this place is called. Yeah. And it's, like, this very small little town that Delilah, once she hit 18, she moved right away to New York. Um, she could not get out of there fast enough. And she has a very strained relationship with her family. So her mom died when she was little. Her dad got remarried to Astrid's mom. And then her father passed away. Think Cinderella, really. Mm -hmm. um, and Delilah, there's so much of this book. Like, obviously, the core of this book is a romance. It's a sapphic romance between Delilah and Claire, who is Astrid's friend. Um, but so much of this book is about, like, grief and loneliness as a child. And, like, there's flashbacks of Delilah being, like, head peeking around the corner watching her stepsister with her friends, like, wishing she was invited. Or, like, being called strange for being quiet and introverted and loving to read. <laughs> I was like, ow. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is a little That's too close really to home. real. <laughs> um... But it's really beautiful. So, basically, <laughs> Delilah shows up at Bright Falls. The only place that's open is the bar. So, she heads to the bar with her little um, suitcase. And at the bar is Astrid, Claire, and then... Ugh, I can't remember the third friend's name right now. It's something with an I. It might be, like, Iris, I think. Let's pretend it's Iris. It's something like that. Um, and Iris dares Claire to go like hit on and get the number of this woman who walks into the bar the hottest woman in the bar uh because she has not had sex in so long and claire is a single mom she was married to this man uh who for all intents and purposes is still like a good guy uh he just is a classic man <laughs> i don't know <laughs> just like <laughs> just a little bit like he need he's a lot of the book is like Claire being like 
why did you do this? And he's like, oh, she wanted donuts for breakfast. Like, just classic, like, mm. oh, come on. Uh, but he means well. So he's not, like, a bad guy. Um, but she goes up and hits on this woman and does not recognize her. But Delilah recognizes her right away. Because Delilah, growing up, saw Claire as the only, like, uh, no, Claire saw, no, sorry, that's wrong. So Delilah recognizes her right away. And she's like, I'm going to have fun with this, obviously. I know that you're my stepsister's best friend. Mm-hmm. And then Astrid walks in and is like, Delilah, wow. So they have a little fight. And then Claire's like, oh my god, I can't think you're hot because you were like the weird girl. <laughs> uh, and also you're my my best friend's stepsister. It's weird. But then slowly as the weekend unfold, it's like two weeks. And basically mm-hmm. she's getting paid so much money that she could afford rent for like months. And she's like, gotcha. I have to be here. But she wasn't invited to the wedding. She was just invited to be the photographer. Oh. Which immediately is like, what? Uh, it makes sense as we go through a right. little bit more why that choice was made. But um, basically, Delilah meets Astrid's fiance for the first time. And he's like a total doorknob. He's like a <laughs> douchebag. Just awful. He like is very condescending to Astrid, and Astrid is like perfectionist to a T, like mm. debilitating people pleaser, kind of cold, doesn't really like have <laughs> strong like social skills in that mm-hmm. way. She's she's like professional kind of person. Uh and Delilah's like we gotta break them up. So then the friends and Delilah team up to figure out how to break up this engagement before they get married. Okay. Uh, and then Delilah and Claire maybe fall in love a little bit. Who knows? Who's to say? It's not a romance book or anything. But <laughs> this is a little little bit of a spoily spoily. So if you don't want it, skip ahead like a minute. But um, the end of the book, maybe the marriage is called off by the way that I set up them. Uh, exposition but the next book is also sapphic and it's between astrid and this person that you meet at the end of this book and i was like sapphic stepsisters yes <laughs> they're not the stepsisters are not in a relationship let me be clear yeah yeah, yeah. they're both separate sapphic <laughs> separate relationships. relationships it's just it's It's, like, it's got steam. It's got a lot of, like, moments that your heart hurts a lot. There are some on-page, like, panic attack stuff. So if you have anxiety, maybe check into that a little bit before heading into this. It's really good. The cover's also very pretty. And the writing's great. The writing is very, very good. So if you're looking for cute little sapphic romance that um, is funny, too, I would check it out. Check it out. I still have 18 weeks on my hold (sighs) at the library. I am currently ninth in line. One copy is in use and 17 people are waiting. That is wild. (gasps) I think the other book comes out this year too, but I I could be wrong. I think Um, you're correct. It's it's good. It's genuinely a very good. Very good little romance book. I recommend... And also, the author is very sweet on social media. Aww. She wrote, anytime someone tags her something, she reposts it, and she's like, she comments on everybody's everything. And I'm like, yeah, you're sweet. You don't that's owe that so to anybody, cute. but it's very sweet. Aw, oh, man, okay, that's, that's all I'm reading right now. I'm not even going to talk about that. 
shifter series. <laughs> We're not getting into that. We did it. We did it. First book report in the books. Woo. Months into the into the year, but it's well worth better the wait. late than never. Um, yeah. How do I do this outro? <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode and you made it all the way to the end, you should head on over to our Instagram at Books on the Brain Pod and you can leave the note pad and pencil emojis. Yeah. Um, I I feel like that's because we've used the same emojis on the book report before, and I think that's what we landed on. Um, yeah. Last season, so let's keep that going um you can also follow danielle and i on our own social medias i am at deirdre rose morgan on instagram and tiktok i'm at dj books on tiktok and on instagram and we upload episodes every other week or (laughs) bi-weekly so you can stay as up to date uh as possible on our instagram that's where we post all our new information and make sure that you are subscribed and uh following on all your favorite or on your favorite podcast platforms we are on all of your favorite podcast platforms Mm -hmm. um and we did make a post about this a little while ago but it would really mean so much if you would rate review and also subscribe uh those reviews do help us out especially on apple podcasts okay that is it from us we will chat to you in the next episode bye 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 bye